I mean, you can start speaking now. This is a double testing of the sound quality, so I know how well I sound. What's with the <laughs> God damn it, Megan? Uh, Shit. I'm sick. Let me have this. Fair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Fast Pass, uh, the history podcast in close to 30 minutes or less. So uh, thank you all for tuning in again. As always, I'm Megan. And I'm Jason. And we are still really bad at pronunciations. But we are trying. As Jason, I promise. So it's our final installment of our month of assassinations on uh, Fast Pass. Now, I know the last one was a little bit, I mean, it, actually extremely depressing. So uh, Jason and I uh, <laughs> thought we should liven it up a bit, make it a little less depresso and a little more espresso. Well, okay, death is never funny, but you get where I'm going. Yeah, this week is the assassin. I'm going to start taking my lines back after this one, so. That's fine. Uh, this week <laughs> is the assassination of the man, the myth, the legend, the person who inadvertently ended the monarchy system in Russia and started communism and therefore the Russian Revolution, Rasputin. Rah, rah. This is definitely going to be one of our favorites. Yeah, and the best song on Just Dance, Just Sing. So let's get to know the man before his untimely yet hilarious death. Let's do it. So Gregory Rasputin was born in Siberia, which is key to his personality. See, Siberia was not like Russia, although it is a part of one of the largest countries in the world. It was tough to live in, and most people who lived there were hunters, trappers, and farmers. And although most of the people who lived in Siberia were considered peasants, they felt that they were superior to those who lived in places like Moscow. This will all be important later to Rasputin's character. I mean, it shows in his life and his beliefs, and I love it. And uh, although there was serfdom on the other side of the Ural Mountains, uh, Siberians were fiercely independent and did not use the feudal system. Hmm. To Siberians, obedience came on the people's terms and nobody else's. Here come the bad pronunciation. Rasputin was born in Pokrovskoy. We're going with that? Bakrovskoy. Cool. An isolated village in Siberia. It began as an outpost in 1642, and the town gained its name from a wooden church dedicated to the Virgin Mary, which in Russian is Pokrovitalnitsa. You want to help me? Pokrovitalnitsa. So you can see where the name came from. Yeah. His parents were born in that town in 1842. His father, Ephem, was described as, quote, Thick. Thick. <laughs> a typical Siberian peasant, chunky, unkempt, and stooped. He married a village girl. She was described as, quote, blonde woman with black eye. Her name was Anna. I love that they go into such description on the father. He's thick, unkempt, and stooped, while she's just blonde woman with black eye. Either her eyes were really dark or she would fight people often. I would fight people too in Siberia. After the death of Rasputin, there was an investigation into his family in 1917, and villagers told officials that his family were, quote, healthy people with, quote, no history of mental illness, which just tells you how kind of weird Rasputin gets. Mm -hmm. So Gregory Rasputin was born on January 9th, 1869. Now, this is his correct date of birth, uh, but he became so big and popular that people fantasized his birth as some kind of omen, saying that he was born a day in January at midnight as a comet crashed uh, across the sky, which was supposed to be this this omen. Yeah, this guy became such a big deal that his own birth is almost an urban legend. His birth and death are urban legends. Are we sure this man's even real? Well, according to Russian records, Rasputin was not formally educated, but he did study theology and probably knew St. Gregory's teachings about salvation. Now, St. Gregory believed that God was beyond human comprehension, that people could scarcely know anything about him. He believed knowledge stood between man and God, and learning was more often an obstacle than an asset in the quest for redemption. Hmm. The more you know, only the educated go to hell. We're going to hell, Jay. 
See you there. Now, most of the information about Rasputin's past comes from the memories of his daughter, which, of course, leads to some probable information, misinformation. She probably glorified parts of her father's childhood because, you know, why not? Uh, and also minimized his faults. Fake news. Yeah, and that's the problem with oral tradition. But regardless, it's important because this is what he actually told her, so that's what he probably believed in himself. Mm. So while it might not be the most accurate, it's probably the most Rasputin. So, Maria, the daughter, told that her father was a restless baby. He was unpredictable. One day he might run into the forest crying, while the next he spent hiding or clinging to relatives. Shadows terrified him, and he, quote, seemed to be pursued by unseen phantoms. So this dude makes his own history, but he doesn't hide his fear of ghosts. I mean, everyone needs their weaknesses, but (laughs) why are you just going to out yourself like that? I mean, ghosts are a pretty common fear, I think. Yeah. Darkness, heights. Yep, same. Uh, He did not start speaking until he was two and a half years old. And as an adult, his sentences were long, drawn out, and slurred. Wonder why? Mm. God was constantly present for Rasputin. He was the source of life's greatest contrasts. Rasputin sought salvation in his life. A British journalist said that, quote, Russian peasants were religious but profoundly ignorant of religious doctrine. They know little of nothing to or nothing of holy writ it is said that when a priest asked the peasants to name the persons of the trinity he replied with no hesitation the savior the mother of god and saint nicholas the miracle worker unquote (laughs) (laughs) thank you saint nick he didn't go to school and he felt isolated his friend died when he was young uh he supposedly communicated with horses like literally like eliza thornberry but of siberia (laughs) <laughs> Wait, you know, that's obviously probably not true, but it just speaks to how strange and mythical this guy was. So he can't read or write, but he can talk to horses. He's literally Eliza Thornberry. If she couldn't read or write. Wow. She was smarter than he is. It's true, and she had better companions than horses. True. Um, throughout his adult life, he would catalog unique moments in his life as a boy to back up that he was endowed with mystical gifts. Such as seeing ghosts and running from them. <laughs> and talking to horses. And talking to horses. And as an adult, he drank to excess, loved strong vodka like his father. When he was drunk, he would ride his horse, again with horses, throughout the night shouting obscenities at respectable citizens who stared at him. I mean, I want to ask what's wrong with him, but the better question would be, what's right with him? Well, obviously his love of horses. Yeah. Um, also, he loved women. Uh, and not in the great way. It's in the way that he would grab an attractive woman and just kiss her. Sometimes he even reached out and started undoing her buttons without her permission. Now, sometimes they fought back. Sometimes they didn't. Either way, he forced himself onto women, which is disgusting. And these are things that he's telling his daughter. No big deal. Uh, (laughs) Apparently to him, it was no big deal. Jeez. (laughs) I know. It's strange, strange relationship they have. Uh, He was religious and a hellraiser. Interesting. He, <laughs> he was called Snot-Nosed in his village, but all that changed when he went on a solo pilgrimage and fell in love with Proskoya, Proskoya uh, Fedorovna Debrovina. Beautiful. Uh, he was used to forcing himself on women, but she actually liked him back. That's the first. And although she refused to do anything until they were married, he spent five months pursuing her. And on February 2nd, 1887, he married her three weeks after his 18th birthday. Their first three children died in infancy, uh, but their next three children lived into adulthood. They did have a seventh child, but she too died in infancy. There was a really big high infant mortality rate in Siberia during those times. Hmm. Still, he was restless. He drank and cheated on his wife openly. 
Uh, he gave discourses on religious subjects as well. He would steal from his own home and sell those things off to buy alcohol. Nobody would hire him. I mean, one guy even caught Rasputin stealing part of his fence, which is just a strange thing to steal. So the dude steals from his own house so he can make a quick buck, and he steals a fence? How do you steal a fence? Why would you steal a fence? Yeah, I wish I knew. I assume there's not that much in Siberia to steal. Fair enough. I was really confused doing this research. I mean, this guy does not even seem real. He was also once accused of stealing, wait for it, two horses. Again with the horses. <laughs> Along with two other people. The two people were exiled and he was banished. But he talked his way into going on this pilgrimage where he would walk 325 miles to the great Siberian monastery of St. Nicholas at Verhatur. I think that's right. Yeah, it sounds right. Yeah. The townspeople hoped that this would straighten him out. So in 19... Nope. So in 1897, he left for his pilgrimage. He was 28 years old, still lived with his dad, and had an infant son. He really had done nothing with his life up until this point. But this was the event that made him Rasputin. It was the time where he found God. Again. Again. <laughs> Again. Since he was already baptized, but I'm pretty sure cheating on your wife and drinking are sins, so he found God. Again. 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 And on top of that, uh, he was a great actor, we find out. He knew how to play the role uh, and make the biggest impact on people. So when he made it back to Pokrovskoy? Yeah. Yeah. He even started a small secret group that pushed past the traditional bounds of orthodoxy. Nobody in the group was allowed to speak about it, which gave him immense power over the group as a whole. So the man returns from a pilgrimage to find God. Again. 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 <laughs> and then he starts a cult. Yeah, pretty much. Um, in 1890. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what everyone does after a pilgrimage? I mean, not most people, but some, I suppose. <laughs> I guess. In 1898, he claimed to have had a vision of the Virgin Mary appearing before him. She was crying, saying that she wept for the sins of mankind, and she charged him to cleanse the people of their sins. This, ver this vision was important because it was a way to impress upon his listeners the sense of mystery and power that he held. Yes. I mean, it's not like it sounds potentially genocide -y at all. Cleanse the people <laughs> of their sins. I feel like it's pretty casual. <laughs> Look, that's no. just not good. That's, no. that's uncomfortable. That is pretty uncomfortable, <laughs> yep. That's, uh, that's no fun. That's no fun at all. <laughs> In 1900, he was called on another pilgrimage to Greece. Of course. So he went. Again. Bless his soul. <laughs> and then, again. And he walked the whole way there, picking up odd jobs as a way for food. It took him years. And, get this, when he went back to his village after two years, he still cheated on his wife. So I guess the only uh, religious, he's only religious when he wants to be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, get this, this is how we would get women to sleep with him. He would, quote, ask a woman to undress and wash him so that they might resist temptation together. This is some mind-boggling <laughs> shit. I mean... <laughs> I, I don't know where to go because this dude's just so goddamn broken. I mean, I feel like it's pretty smooth for the 18, oh, 1900s. Yeah. <laughs> Cleanse your sins together. I mean, that's, that's he's a very smooth talker, but in his youth, it clearly didn't work out for him. No, uh, it's okay, though. He knew he was a sinner, but he believed he, su he should resist sin. So he really has no idea what's going on here. I, I don't either at this point. Anyway, he left again. Again. And this is becoming a pattern to, to, <laughs> <laughs> to Kazan, which is close to Moscow. Uh, well, closer than Siberia is to Moscow. Anyway, the timing of his arrival was perfect because the church was going through it. 
uh, the people believed that orthodoxy was little more than a collection of corrupt monks and priests that acted as police informants. I mean, <laughs> what the hell? Literally just the era itself is so stupid. Everything going on with Russia at this time makes me think that they needed communism. Oh, wow. I mean, bold if, statement. I mean, if even the church is against the people and is informing on them to the police, I mean, under, I would understand the need to rise up. Mm. And Kazin was looking for answers, and Rasputin was there to give them. Of course he was. And he kept up with his lustful antics, but somehow he got in good with Andrew, a bishop of Kazin, that sent him to St. Petersburg, where he arrived in 1903. He went to one of the most important religious centers in the empire, Nevsky, the mm -hmm. Nevsky Monastery. Now, we're finally getting to the point where he actually becomes the Rasputin that everyone knows and sings about. So, while in St. Petersburg, he met Archimandrite, Theophan. Theophan. <laughs> Don't make fun of his name. It's his name. It's what he goes by. I mean, it's, it's fine. It's fine. He was the inspector. <laughs> okay, it's not fine, but it's, it's funny. It's funny. He was the inspector of Theological Academy and the confessor of the Tsar and his wife. Ooh. Ooh. Rasputin would use and discard people who would no longer advance his career, so he did this with everyone he met, and eventually he would use and discard Fiofan as well, which sucks because I love the name. Yeah. Now, we have to move on to the man who would take Rasputin and elevate him to become the man he is in the song, which is Nicholas II, the last Tsar of Russia. Here to save the day. <laughs> Nicholas became Tsar at a young age when Alexander was murdered. Sad. But although he became more mature as it went along, he still started really young. As a ruler, he believed he got the power from God. Now, historians are not kind to his rule. 80% of the people, of his people were illiterate when Nicholas II took power and half the people were living in poverty. But he was determined to make Russia a contender in colonial possessions. So he went after Manchuria which started a war with Japan, which Great. is important that is, later. That is wonderful. And, I, you know, it's it's uh, it's imperial time. Let's just take over all places because we can. Yeah, that's how things are. Of course. There was Where nowadays, <laughs> things <laughs> Some don't things change. don't change. There is also his wife, Alex, the princess of Hesse. Nicholas met Alex in 1884 when she came to Russia for a wedding of her older sister. She came back in 1889, and Nicholas fell madly in love with her. His parents weren't happy about the match, just like old Franz Ferdinand there, mm. but they married in April of 1894. She became Alexandria after she joined the Russian Orthodoxy religion. They married a week after her father's funeral. Rip. Yep. They lived in Alexander Palace at Sarkoye? Sarkoye? Sarskoye. Wow. Sarskoye. Sarskoye Cello. It was an exclusive residential center 15 minutes, 15 miles from St. Petersburg. It was surrounded by iron fences and patrolled by scarlet-coated Cossacks. Uh, mm -hmm. Fun fact, they communicated in English because he did not, she did not know how to speak Russian. They had four girls, which presented a problem because they needed a son to keep the throne, mm -hmm. just like another important religious figure, Henry VIII. The people viewed her inability to make a boy um, as her displeasing God. So she finally gave birth to a boy in 1904, which they named Alexis, though he had hemophilia. Wonderful. Yeah. So before Rasputin met the Tsar and his wife, Russia was going through some shit. Wow. So as Meg said before, there was unrest amongst the public, with half of them being impoverished and 80% being illiterate. So there were protests against the war in Japan, which pushes us into January 22nd, 
1905, also known as Bloody Sunday. There was a peaceful protest happening outside the Tsar's Winter Palace in St. Petersburg, and Imperial forces opened fire on the crowd, killing and wounding hundreds. Strikes and riots broke out, and in response to which Tsar Nicholas made promises of representative assemblies to just work towards reform, that never happened. Ah, welcome to government. So the Tsar and his wife met Rasputin on November 1st, 1905. He was invited back several times, and after the first meeting, uh, which obviously means that he made a good impression on them, he was cool as a cucumber, referred to the Tsar and his wife as, quote, little father and little mother. Adorable. Which is super informal, but they liked that. So cool. Uh, brownie points for Rasputin. Mm-hmm. Now, I wish any of this could be summed up into a smaller bit, but the reason Rasputin was assassinated really has to deal with the amount of power and influence he gained over the king and queen. So we have to go into those events. So here's one of them. In 1906, after Bloody Sunday, Tsar Nicholas involved Rasputin in a situation that happened to this guy, Peter Stolypin. Basically, a bomb had gone off in the minister's summer villa and killed like 32 people and wounded a whole bunch, including Stolypin's daughter. Believing that Rasputin had, quote, healing gifts, he charged him to pray for this girl. So get this. The Tsar checked up on Rasputin and had the prince give him the lowdown on what he thought about this man. Basically, the prince was not impressed and called him, quote, insincere and unbalanced. On December 15th, Rasputin asked the Tsar to legally modify his name from Rasputin to Rasputin Novi, or New Rasputin which he not only did, but expedited. And in Russia, they were known for slow service at the time. So this became the sort of event that he would lie about later on. He would say that Nicholas gave him the name change, which is insignificant, like, of a lie. But still, nonetheless, like, his lies persisted. So he changed his name to New Rasputin. Rasputin, Rasputin. Yeah. But the new version. I don't don't know. It's like me being like, hey, new Jason. Like, Hello, I am I am Jason 2.0. What are you trying to hide, new Jason? What happened in the old Jason's life? Nothing. Shut up. No one, don't tell. <laughs> no. Go, no. Shush. <laughs> in court, uh, he was powerful because he used the tools of guilt, shock, and flattery. Mm. For example, Rasputin loved describing the sex life of, wait for it, horses. Motherfucker with his horses. I know. Like, what is it with this guy and horses? He can speak to them. He can understand their sex life. The most important I'm piece. Worried, <laughs> the most important piece of this was in relation to the Tsar's only son. Okay, so one night he was suffering from hemophilia pretty badly, and mm. nobody could console him. So Alexandria called upon Rasputin to pray for him, and by the morning the boy was feeling much better. Now it is said that Rasputin used Alexandria's guilt about her son's illness against her, what a dick. not straight out, but more like a. No, I'm sure God's not judging you for something bad you did. Total dick. That's not why your son has this incurable illness. He planted the seed. One small moment, but important, is when Rasputin met Olga, Nicholas's sister, and Rasputin hit on her, like, so hard, asking her why her husband wasn't there, asking if she was happy, if she was in love, stroking her arm, putting his arm around her. Reportedly, this made the Tsar and his wife feel super uncomfortable, but it's important because this means that they weren't ignorant to the real Rasputin. They saw him, but regardless, they let him continue. Mm. So he became essential to the Tsar and his wife. And he stayed with them at the palace and had several devotees. He was living in the lap of luxury. I mean, there's a lot more. Like, Rasputin got in trouble with the church. They called him a Kylist, and they tried to discredit him. Uh, the guy whose daughter Rasputin prayed for, Peter Stolypin, tried to end his political career. 
Um, I mean, <laughs> people were on edge. Oh, yeah. They were in the middle of the Russian Revolution. Of course, they would want to discredit the Tsar's favorite person. Rasputin did, however, continue to have tremendous influence over the Tsar, even convincing him to take over the army personally, a decision that was not good for him, and the people blamed the Tsar for their military defeats. Great. Now we can get on to his death. Take it away, Jay. So this dude's death is just as mythalized as his birth. Before that, let's talk about his decline, which led to his assassination. So it was in 1913 that he felt he was straying from God and decided that if God wouldn't answer his prayers, then Rasputin would find them himself in the bottom of a bottle of alcohol. (laughs) Ah, geez. So his daughter Maria was just so worried about his alcoholism that she confronted him about it, and he responded, Why should I not drink? Am I not a man like all the others? I mean, it had gotten so bad and so consistent that the local guards created a terminology just to classify his nights out. Quote, their reports would describe him as slightly inebriated, inebriated, fairly drunk, drunk, very drunk, completely drunk, (laughs) dead drunk, (laughs) and finally, totally overcome with drink. First of all, I love how there are eight categories for his drunkenness and how the last one is totally overcome with drink. How is totally (laughs) overcome with drink worse than than dead dead drunk? drunk? Like how drunk can totally overcome with drink be? Like I need to know. That is ridiculous. (laughs) That's so bad. So this dude would also try to have sex daily with other women. Whoa. Despite the fact that he's married. A sin. Mm Mm-hmm. So there was a girl in his apartment building that he's living in, uh, Katya, an 18-year-old seamstress. He would regularly knock on her door when he was drunk and offer her 50 rubles if she would come over to visit him. Do you think if he fell asleep before the sex happened that she would still get paid? Because, like, if that's the case, totally overcome with drink, offer me money, and then just fall asleep, I'll take it. I mean... She never answered the door, which okay. is a good call. Uh, she refused to be around this man when he drank. His escapades and terrible public image spread like wildfire over Russia. There were illegal cartoons <laughs> made depicting him as a puppet master or in sexual positions with Alexandra and her daughters. People Did- hated him so much that it's believed that rumors of his influence over the Tsar's family did more to undermine the monarchy than all of their revolutionary propaganda. I'm telling you, this man inadvertently started communism. Hell yeah. There's also been many attempts at his life during his time as well. So he had been assaulted by guards and army officers for making insulting references towards the empress. A Siberian newspaper said he was a, a freaking horse thief. What is it with him and horses? I don't know. <laughs> But when Rasputin telegrammed them uh, saying, hey, you totally like make it fun of me. Not cool. Don't do that. Cut this shit out. They responded by calling him a half-educated peasant. <laughs> I'm gonna, that's, my favorite, that's my new favorite insult. A half-educated peasant. <laughs> Another time, a man slammed his car into Rasputin's sleigh, <laughs> leaving him bruised. A man from Saritsyn released a pile of lumber into the road in front of his car. (laughs) Simply put, many, many people hated him. But that's not what we're here for. I mean, a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) But we want to know about who killed him. Who killed Rasputin? The man was Prince Felix Yusupov. He had invited Rasputin to meet his wife, his new wife, Irina, at midnight on December 16th. I just want to go back for a minute and just imagine you're riding in a freaking sleigh and you turn around and there's and just a some dude just slams you <laughs> in the side. Or like it's like um, there's really old timey like silent cartoons where he just like 
releases a pile of lumber and trash. He's like, oh, no. Oh, no. What do I do? The worst assassination (laughs) attempts. I'm done. I'm done. Also, okay, this part about inviting him to meet his new wife kind of reminds me of Trujillo. Because Trujillo was going to meet other women and he got assassinated. Viva la revolucion. Viva la revolucion. So the dude said he wanted to meet at that time at around midnight so that his parents wouldn't know he came over. Yeah, but it turns out neither Irina nor his parents were there. Slick. So Felix sets up his basement as a dining room for a party. Quote unquote party. Uh, All the other guests showed up at 11 p.m. in order to set everything up. They swirled glasses of wine, uh, disheveled the tablecloth, crumpled up napkins, pretty much anything to make it look like a party was had. The first set dressers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Felix also had somebody crush up cyanide into six dessert cakes. Uh, His wine glass also is said to have received enough cyanide to kill several men. Just in case, though, you know, we don't know what happened to the black hands that happened here. And so... With the cyanide crushed up and in so many places, the scene was set. The only thing missing is the main characters. Dun, dun, dun. Felix left to pick up Rasputin just a little after midnight. They get in the carriage and leave. Upon arriving, Yusupov led Rasputin into the basement, and upstairs in the study they had Yankee Doodle playing over the gramophone to simulate that his wife is entertaining guests and would join them as soon as she was done. Why would she entertain them with Yankee Doodle? That seems like the worst song to entertain guests with. Uh, uh, <laughs> you play what you can get, I suppose. You play what you can get. So, Rasputin would then eat several of the poisoned cakes and drink several glasses of wine from his poisoned chattis. <laughs> He would occasionally reach a hand to his throat as if he's having, like, difficulty swallowing. And the, the prince is just baffled at this point. It's literally like the black hand all over again. Where? Where is all of Europe getting their freaking cyanide from? It's like no one mm-hmm. can make good cyanide nowadays. I'm going to file a formal complaint. We with... need better cyanide. Make cyanide great again. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's so, that's so bad. <laughs> So, Rasputin saw a guitar in the corner of the basement and asked Yusupov to sing something in the meantime. So, he sings song after song with Rasputin's head getting, like, lower and lower as if he's finally going to pass out. But every time the song is over, he would just pick up his head and ask for another freaking song. Badass. Apparently, Wonderwall wasn't good enough. (laughs) So, Yusupov claimed he needed to check on his wife upstairs and join the other conspirators. And they're just freaking out and they just start considering strangling him in mass. Then they also consider letting him go and trying later. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger in the words of Kelly Clarkson. Eh, Thank (laughs) you, Kelly. But they figured that if he died at home, an autopsy would detect the poison. Mm. So they just grabbed a pistol. Yusupov took it, ran downstairs. And when Rasputin asked for another glass of wine, Felix poured it for him, offered him a chance to pray, and then just shot him dead in the chest. Clean. I mean... Not really. It got I, it got it got pretty messy. It it sounds a lot like Franz Ferdinand again, where he's just like, you know what? I'm just gonna take this pistol. You know what? You're right here. Bang! Dead. Shoots him dead in the chest. Not very clean. They had to drag him off the rug because they didn't want it to stain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, one conspirator then just dresses as Rasputin in order to be quote unquote driven home, uh, while the other while another one is dressed as the prince and. Once the pretender faked going inside Rasputin's house and then snuck back into the car, they returned to Yusupov's mansion. And on the way back, they stopped by uh, 
a train, to, like a, someone's private train car, to burn the coat, the hat, and the galoshes, but they wouldn't fit in the furnace in the private train car. So they ended up taking them back to the prince's palace again. First step of a revolution, don't leave a trail. Did we learn nothing from Trujillo? Apparently I mean, not. this happened this way happened before lot. Trujillo. A lot in a lot of cases. So they really, Trujillo, the men should have learned from this. Don't leave a trail, y'all. If you're going to assassinate someone. You never did it. Don't do it. It wasn't you. wasn't you at all. You never bought a gun. What? what you never gun? bought cyanide. Cyanide? What? No, you, only the best manufacturer in, in uh, Europe. Only the best. <laughs> so Yusupov decided to check on Rasputin's dead body. And so he decides to shake it, make sure it's dead. And then Rasputin just springs up and just starts attacking him. <laughs> so he just like starts beating on him. And then he just starts. He thinks he's down. Rasputin bolts for the door, runs outside. Yusupov crawls up, runs outside as well, and then shoots him four more times. Okay, he shot four times, but two of them missed. One hit him in the back, and the other just hit him in the forehead. I'm, I'm really confused how that happens, though. If he's running away, wouldn't his head be turned away from him? Normally, yes, but uh, apparently Rasputin stopped, turned around, and said, I'm going to tell Mama and Papa on you. <laughs> That's such a childy thing to say. Why wouldn't he just tell the horses? He could start a horse revolution. He's the only one that can speak to the horses, though. Oh, my God. They wouldn't... No one else understands. They wouldn't understand him. <laughs> <laughs> and just to make sure that the bastard Rasputin was dead, Felix kicked him just right in the temple. Oof. He didn't move this time. Hey, that's a plus. But uh, nearby police heard gunfire Oof. and uh, Officer ooh, Officer Vlasyuk <laughs> was sent to investigate. Uh, one of the conspirators asked him if he was, quote, a loyal Russian and Orthodox Christian. The police officer said he was, so they told him just straight up, oh, yeah, we killed Rasputin. <laughs> the <laughs> officer said he would keep it confidential but couldn't lie under oath. Wow, people hated people. They hated this guy that much that they were just like, hey, what's up? I killed Rasputin. And they're like, cool, man. You could go on. Just just go on. You're good. You're cool. <laughs> So the prince flies into a rage now that the police know what's going on, and he just grabs a two-pound dumbbell and starts wailing on <laughs> Rasputin's head. Oh, my God. And then as soon as he's done, he just faints, just he's, out in the snow. He's weak. Knees weak, arms are heavy. <laughs> so the conspirators grab Rasputin, wrapped him in a curtain and his coat, threw his body in the car, and drove to the great Petrovsky Bridge to dump the body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. After they brought... Uh, Yusupov inside and laid him in his bed. Oh, so he gets to, uh, you know, his time as an assassin was really tough on his body, so... Oh, yeah, very much so. We'll do the dirty work after you just fucking bludgeon this guy's head open. Yeah. So they dump the body, forgetting to chain him up and attach weights to make sure he, that he sinks to the bottom of the river. Oh, my God. Um, they left one of the galoshes in the car, and they tried throwing the other into the river, but it didn't land in the break in the ice, and it just stayed there on the ice. Straight up, this is just as half-assed as Franz Ferdinand's assassination. And once again, they're leaving another frickin' trail. <laughs> learn. Learn from their mistakes. So the next day, Yusupov is questioned, but he maintains his innocence, and the police found a man's galosh by the river. Oh my god. And dark red stains near the roadway and on the railings. Do you not clean up blood? Do you, are you, okay, if you're I mean, an assassin. they did it in the middle of the night. Still, so like, the they couldn't see man's it? head was bludgeoned. Do you think, like, no liquids are going to seep from his brain? Fair. I, 
look, they're not that smart, man. No, clearly. This was half-assed. What was it? 80% of Russia's illiterate? <laughs> yeah, blame their illiteracy on... Oh, Nicholas II, you did this to yourself. Ah, uh, Nicholas, you killed <laughs> Rasputin. So, divers tried to investigate the river, but their breathing tubes constantly froze because it was so cold. Rip. And on December 19th, the body of Rasputin was found, and Russia erupted in celebration. You know people hate you when they find out that you were brutally murdered, and they cheer about it. Yeah, so that's uh, that's the story. Things got a bit confusing, which made him into a legend. I mean, apparently there were two autopsies, one of which supposedly found water in his lungs, meaning that he was alive when his body hit the water, mm. leading people to believe that he escaped his bonds and tried to swim to safety. Um, but the autopsy actually showed that the shot in the head most likely killed him instantly, and the damage done to his body is all posthumous, meaning it was done after he was dead. Oof. So the peasants hearing this story and how it was the, the aristocracy that killed Rasputin began formulating stories of how Rasputin was defending the people at court. So he was killed for being against their ideals as well as having the Tsar's ear, thus creating the legend that is Rasputin. And the rest is history. Well, uh, that wraps up our pretty long, but I think pretty interesting episode. Oh, yeah. Join us next week for another exciting episode. This time, not assassinations. And we actually uh, left a little Easter egg in this one. We teased what's going to be our next topic. So if you can guess, shout out. Should we give, what? give us a shout out on our Twitter, at FastPast1. Um, also, I didn't mention this in the other ones, but we do have a, what is that called? Twitter handle? No, not that. Facebook. Um, Works cited page. Works cited. So if That's you it. ever want to use any of our podcasts in papers, mm -hmm. just send us an email at fastpasspodcast at gmail.com and I will give you our sources. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, if you want to hear more from me, I'm on a podcast called Inside the Gamer's Stronghold with my friend Mark Zebro. Um, it is on Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Yeah. And we are in the process of being on Apple Podcast as well. Oh, yeah. So check us out there. Have a nice day. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.